Hey, I want to tell you guys a little bit about me when I grew up. I grew up in Charlotte. Most of you know that, but let me tell you a little bit about where I grew up. I grew up in a neighborhood called Paul Tuckett, all right? I'm not sure why it was an Indian name that we uh, lived in that neighborhood, but that's the house I grew up in, 6822 David Avenue. Um, When I grew up, I thought it was the biggest house in the world. Um, I drive back and look at it now and realize it wasn't, but it was an awesome house. It was an awesome neighborhood. And we, we lived in this neighborhood um, on, off of Little Rock Road. So if you ever go to Charlotte Airport, you're about two miles from, three miles from, from where I grew up as a, a kid. Spent my whole life in this house until I went away to college, never lived anywhere else. Um, so the house that my mom and dad moved to after we all moved out is, doesn't quite feel the same as this house. But I also want to tell you about my neighborhood. Uh, Paul Tuckett was this sprawling neighborhood, covered miles and miles and miles on that side of town. And uh, we, we knew most of, most of our neighbors. Beside us, we had a guy who had this German shepherd. And all we knew was he told us to leave the German shepherd alone, right? I don't remember the man's name. I don't remember the dog's name. I just remember that because of that, we just kind of stayed away from their house altogether, right? Then behind us, we had the McCotton, uh, we had behind us, <clears throat> excuse me, we had the McCarver family. And they lived right behind us. They had older sons that were closer to my brother's age, so they hung out a lot. I didn't really get to know them that much. All I knew is they had a seven-foot-tall basketball goal, and this was before they raised and lower. Okay, some of you are like, well, they, they all raised and lower. No, this was wooden backboard, all right, metal frame, and somehow it withstood all the kids in the neighborhood just slam dunking on that, pretending we were Michael Jordan every day of our lives, all right? Uh, we, we had a great time at the McCarver's house. Then a few houses b- beside them, around the corner from them, lived one of the teachers from our high school. He was the calculus teacher, and he was also a high school wrestling coach. Um, you, you never went and talked to him because, you know, because in high school, you think that all that your teachers want to talk about is school, so you don't want to interact with him, all right? So he was around a corner in our neighborhood. Then across the street from us was uh, a family that had one son. They moved about uh, when I was in middle school, I believe, and then another family moved in, uh, a, a Presbyterian minister, and his family moved in. I don't know what happened, but a few years later, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. They divorced. He moved out. Uh, we, we did a lot with their family that lived across the street from us. Right beside them are people that I never knew. I don't even know that we were really somebody in the house, except their yard was always beautiful. It was like the Oompa Loompas lived there, right? And they, you just never knew there was really somebody living in that house. Some of you have never seen Willy Wonka and have no idea what I'm just talking about, all right? It's okay. Don't, don't, don't even try to figure it out. But then there was the cul-de-sac up the road, and that's where I lived as a teenager. In the cul-de-sac, we had friends there, the, the Bergens. Now, the Bergens in their house was the house that I attempted to spend the first night in their house away from home. I made it until about 1 o'clock in the morning. got this terrible stomachache. I don't know what was happening. Uh, but my, they had to come, they had to walk me home, not drive me home, walk me down the road to my house at 1 o'clock in the morning. Some of you have experienced those. I was introduced in their house to Star Wars and Legos, all right? Two of the greatest loves in life it could ever be. We, we had a community pool in Pawtucket, about two and a half miles of a bike ride. Now imagine this in 2017. During the summer, my mom and dad went to work. We went to the pool on our bicycles with no helmets, with no parents. We rode our bicycles two and a half miles to the community pool. We took our own lunches. We hung out all day long at the pool 
and everybody did it every day. It's what we did. We couldn't wait for Memorial Day because that's when the pool opened and they had this big thing and we would go. It closed down a few years later. All right, this was our neighborhood, but that's the neighborhood I grew up in. And I'm just telling you that so you go, oh, that's a kind of a quaint story. But when I grew up, I knew the majority of my neighbors. In fact, statistics tell us that 40 years ago, 50% of us knew all of our direct neighbors by name, by occupation, by family, and we interacted with many of them every single week. 2010, fast forward 30 years. 35% of us do not know the names of our neighbors. 35% of us don't know the names of our direct neighbors. I'm not talking about everybody in the neighborhood, but those that are right around us, 2010. But, but how can this be? We're, we're more connected, right? We've got Facebook. We've got social media. How could we not be connected to the people that are around us? We've got all these ways. But the fact is, we live in a culture that encourages anonymity. Even happens here at church. You guys visit, and that's great, and you never turn in a guest card because you just kind of want to be undercover, all right, as you're here. We live in that culture. We pull in our yard. We pull in our driveway. We pull in our garage. We shut the door. We play in our backyard with our kids. Not without, we we don't interact with everybody else because we don't know what they're doing, what their life is like, and we just live in this bubble. And our world, our American culture pushes us to this anonymity. And so we've been talking as a staff, what does it look like then for us, if that's the culture that we live in, then what does it look like when Jesus tells us, love your neighbor as yourself? How do we love our neighbor as ourself if we don't even know their name? If we don't know their background, if we don't know what they're doing in life, how do we love them? Is it really that important? For us to love our neighbor. What if Jesus, question for us for the month of May, what if Jesus really meant love your neighbor as yourselves? This month, because we've been walking through this already some as a staff, this month's going to make us all uncomfortable, all right? Not something you're supposed to pose when you preach. You're supposed to make everybody feel good, all right? I'm just going to tell you. You introverts, you're going to have to come out of your shell. You extroverts, you're actually going to have to listen when people talk to you, okay? I mean, we're, we're going to mix this up, all right, as we go through the month of May. We're going to step into this loving our neighbor collectively as a church. And one of the things I want to pose from the beginning is this. This is not a project. These are people. This is not a project we're embarking you on, say, oh, by the month of May, get to check off this number of people that you've got to meet in your neighborhood. No, these are people that we're going to ask you to love your neighbor as yourself. So this morning, we're going to give you a jump start, all right? Right here in church, we're going to give you a way to practice loving your neighbor right at the beginning of the sermon, all right? Here's what you're going to do. On the screen, you're going to see A, B, and C. A means the name. B is something you don't know. C is uh, something that you can pray for. A, B, and C. Name, something you don't know, and a way that you can pray. Now, if you grab a worship guide, there's actually some places in there for you to put some of that information in. And here's what we're going to do in just a moment. You can flip to it. That's great. Awesome. If you didn't get one, you can use your hand. All right? You can put it in there. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you three minutes on a clock, 
And I want you to get to know two to three people around you. Okay, if you came with your wife and her parents, those don't count, okay? I'm going to be really blunt with you. Don't take the easy route. Don't take the easy route this morning, and don't take the easy route this month. We're going to push ourselves. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for this. I've been praying for this. I'm excited about this for the last few weeks, getting ready for this. So this morning, we're going to get to know our neighbors in church first. We're going to make it easy, all right? This is an easy project. Trust us. On the way out today, you're going to get the hard one, all right? So this is the easy one, A, B, and C. Now, what this means is I, I know there's a few of you out there. There's a few of you just like me. You could take all three minutes that we're going to give you and share just about yourself, okay? Do not overtake the conversation, okay? Name something you don't know about them and a way that you can pray for them. I'm going to pray for us at the end. So on your mark, get set, go. Get to know people around you this morning. Love your neighbor. You got three minutes. I want us to pray this morning for those that we've met this morning. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want to encourage you somebody that you met this morning that God's leading you to pray for. God, I I pray for um, this interaction that we've had this morning. And God, it's not just an exercise, it's not a warm-up. God, it really is about us learning in this context, in the community of believers, God, that we're called to be to love each other and to care about each other. God, I pray for needs that people learn about people around them that are heartfelt needs. I know for some it's really hard to share a prayer request with somebody they don't know, and I understand that. But God, I have no doubt that there's some prayer requests and some things that people have learned about people around them this morning that they know, had no idea the people around them were carrying that burden. God, help us to know and to sense that in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our streets, there are people just like the people in this room this morning who desperately need a friendship who desperately need a physical need met, a spiritual need met, someone to pray for them, to encourage them, to laugh with them. And so God, let us launch this as we examine this passage of Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, you guys. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. At one point, I wasn't sure if I was going to get all you guys back together. I thought I was just going to walk out, you know, just keep on talking. No amens to that, okay? Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having a conversation that we're going to see in just a moment with a lawyer, an expert in the law, most likely a Pharisee, a Sadducee, one of those that is trained in the law, the spiritual law, uh, Old Testament law, and there's a lot of investigation going on to who is this Jesus? What's he really about? And so the lawyer is going to come to him and he's going to test Jesus, and here's what he says, and behold, a lawyer stood up, verse 25, to put him to the test, saying, teacher, this is, he's speaking to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And he answered, lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So far, so good for this guy. He's quoting the Old Testament out of the book of Deuteronomy. He's he's quoting what any Jewish person would have known. He's quoting the Shema. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Good job. You got it. 
But the lawyer then tests a little bit more. He pushes a little bit more, and he says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Listen to this question. Who is my neighbor? Now, any good lawyer, when they go to court or when they prepare for court, one of their goals is to have a clear definition of the terms of what they're arguing for or against. And so this person trained in the law, very smart, he's wanting to get a a clear, a narrowed-in definition of what does it mean and who is my neighbor. Now, I want to make sure we understand something this morning. As we walk through this series of neighbor, in no way are we saying, if you love your neighbor, then you have, then you are, have placed your life in Jesus Christ and you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, okay? We do not want to base this on works, and this is what the lawyer was trying to do. Understand his question was not beginning on, how do I love my neighbor? His question was on eternal life. This was a spiritual question for him first, and what he's equating it to and wanting to figure out is how do I figure out what good deeds I can do for my neighbor in order for me to check off that I've earned my way into eternal life. Clearly from Scripture, and I just want to use this as our baseline this morning, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that we are accepted into a relationship through God by grace through faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The lawyer is trying to trick and to try to test Jesus. I want to give an approved set of lists. And now listen to what he says first. He quotes the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's declaring here to place your love and your trust in the Lord your God. And as a result of that, you're going to learn how to to love your neighbor. But there's freedom he's announcing to him. He's announcing to him, listen, if if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, there is freedom in that. I'm not giving you another list. I'm not stepping out of the law. I'm telling you that there is freedom that is found through grace and through the pursuit of who I am. But what I want you to see is so amazing here. The lawyer, again, he's trying to justify even, it even says that for us. It says the lawyer trying to justify himself in verse 29. Here's what I think he's doing. Let's narrow this down a little bit, Jesus. Good lawyer, right? L- let's narrow this down a little bit, Jesus. How about you tell me, just go ahead and tell me, who is my neighbor? If you could give me the name and the address and how many of them I'm supposed to reach, then that's who I'll go reach. Nothing more, nothing less. Let me check it off. Let me finish my project. But what Jesus is not going to do is deliver the name of the neighbor. What he's going to show him is that a neighbor is anyone who has a need. Anyone that you encounter that has a need, physical, spiritual, 
that's how we introduce ourselves and become a neighbor. Who is my neighbor? But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, the, the, the reference that Jesus is giving here, the teachers and the lawyers and the people of the day would have understand. From Jerusalem to Jericho is about 70 miles, and it drops over 3,000 feet in elevation. It's a curvy, windy road. It's a dangerous road. And so as soon as Jesus begins to give this, this parable, he says, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, the lawyer would have gone, oh, man, I, I know that road. That's a dangerous road. What was that guy doing traveling by himself? He goes on. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of commentaries, a lot of, a lot of talking about why these guys did not stop. They were religious. They were considered ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. They could not interact with, with this gentleman. He was dirty. Uh, he was from a different ethnicity. Uh, and, and notice what it says. It doesn't say they walked over on him, checked him out, decided they couldn't help. What does it say? Samaritan guy, I mean, the, the passerby is, is down on the ground. All right, He's been robbed. He's beaten. He's hanging out over here. What does it say? They passed by on the other side. If there had been a wall, they would have been sucked to it going on the other side. Oh, man, he's dirty. He's bloody. He's been beaten up. But then along comes a Samaritan. Now, again, Jesus and his teaching always surprises, always introduces someone into the mix to catch the, the listeners off guard. And when he said Samaritan in the middle of this context, in the middle of this parable, if this lawyer wasn't paying attention, he's paying attention now because here's what he's saying. A Samaritan, in opposition to the Jewish people, different ethnicity, a, a Samaritan was filthy in their eyes. Background, different religious practices. Man on the road, priest, Levite, walked by. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you, and I will come back. couple of lessons that I think we can see here this morning. The first one's this. The art of neighboring varies based on the need. The Samaritan did not kneel down beside him and give him a gospel track and leave him. He didn't go through the four spiritual laws. He didn't quote scripture to him. This guy was dying. I'm going to stop the bleeding, I'm going to put on some ointment, I'm going to take care of him, I'm going to get him to a place where I can meet, where someone can help meet the physical needs. But as we meet the physical needs, as we're going to see through this series, it doesn't negate the spiritual needs. 
This is not a social gospel that we're talking about. It is the gospel. But there are moments that the situation varies based on the need. He picked him up regardless of his skin color, his social implication, his gender identification, his addictive behaviors. He stopped the behavior, stopped the bleeding, took him to town, paid for help, in essence offered him protection. And he said, I'm going to come back. Loving neighbors examine the needs. Which of these three, Jesus says, do you think proved, now notice the switch here, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Here's this word again, neighbor. We would define it in our dictionary, you can look it up, as a person who lives in close proximity to you. Verse 27, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 29, who is my neighbor? Verse 36, who is proving to be a neighbor? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus took the question from the lawyer. Please see this. We've examined this before as a church, but but see it. Every time you come through this passage, notice what Jesus does does, did, whatever, all right? He did it, all right? He spoke it. He spun the question around. The question from the lawyer was, who is my neighbor? He turns it to, who do you need to be a neighbor to? One is trying to define who that person is. Then Jesus comes back and says, who do you need to be to other people? One is looking to justify and to name all the people around me. Instead, Jesus is saying, hey, let's don't narrow it down that way. Let's open it up. Who do you need to become a neighbor toward? Martin Luther King Jr., in a really famous sermon called I've Been to the Mountaintop, speaks about this parable. The first question, he says in a quote, and the first question that the priests ask, the first question that the Levite really asks in their minds is this. If I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? That's what they're thinking when they're squeezing by on the other side of the road. If I stop him, what's going to happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and in reality, they they, they changed the question. If I don't stop, what's going to happen to them? And this is neighboring. It's not really a verb, but we're going to turn it into one. This is neighboring. This is turning the question. The, the, the other two guys going, who's my neighbor? I don't know. He's not my neighbor. If I stop to help him, this is dangerous. The Samaritan turns the question around and says, if I don't stop to help this guy in this parable, who's going to help him? The art of neighboring overcomes excuses and it takes action. We've got to move beyond. I've got to move beyond. If I help this person, what's going to happen to me? If I interject my life into their life, what could be the consequences? What impact? What's it going to cost me? The Samaritan could have come up with his top five list of excuses. He could have said, I can't help him. He doesn't look like me. I can't help him. He doesn't go to church with me. I can't help him. He's bloody and I'm clean. I can't help him. He traveled this road alone. Duh. He got what was coming to him. 
I can't help him, I might be in danger. And so as I was preparing, I started thinking through my excuses of the people that live closest to me, the people that I interact with. Here's some of my excuses. And they're not uplifting. I'm busy. I'm tired. I need to go take care of church members. I know that they'll use my money for something other than food. It's mine. might be yours. They have the same, sc- same skin color and dress as someone that I saw on TV that's a terrorist. I don't agree with their lifestyle. They have on nicer clothes than I've got, but they're still begging for food. Here's one that happened to me recently. I was just in the store, and they bought $300 worth of scratch-off, and their kids are hungry in the car, and they want me to give them money. Can, we, can you give me the scratch-offs? Maybe we can strike a deal? No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't it. They're dirty. Someone else will help them. I've helped before, and it backfired. Those are my excuses. Some of them. Shamefully, sad, sinfully, those are some of my excuses. But the art of neighboring that Jesus is referring to, it does something. It overcomes excuses, and it takes action. It's not a blind action. It's not an action without a plan. But when we're placed in the proximity of the relationship of someone in need, we're called to become a neighbor to those that God has placed in our lives. Not simply saying, well, pastor, then tell me who is my neighbor. That's a cop-out question for us this morning. The real question is, who do I need to become a neighbor toward? To whom needs me to be a neighbor You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it this way. The Shema says it this way. Jesus quotes it later on in his lifetime towards in this situation again. But here we see this. It's so important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Simply love people the way that you desire to be loved. It's not complicated. It's not mysterious. It's not anonymity. It's not what culture would say, well, stay disconnected from them. No, it's interjecting ourselves, becoming a part of carefully, cautiously, prayerfully entering into and say, how can I be a neighbor to them the way that I would want to be a neighbor? These have spiritual implications, folks. Again, as Matt introduced earlier this morning, we're desiring to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. And you've been placed in neighborhoods, in workplaces, all over Davidson County, all over Guilford County, Forsyth. Some of you work in Charlotte and you drive all these kind of places. But many of you have been placed in the neighborhoods. And it is time for us as the church, as followers of Jesus, To follow what Jesus said was important. You may not have time to do everything in life. I don't. But I think if Jesus says, you're right, lawyer, love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, I need to do that, and love your neighbor as yourself, I think those are pretty important.
So early in the service, we gave you a chance to interact with your neighbor around you. As you leave this morning, we're going to give you a card. It's going to look like this. looks like the front, front of the worship guide this morning. It says, who is my neighbor? And on the back, there's some instructions, and I want to cover those for you really quickly. On the back, there's a little box down at the bottom. It gives you an example of A, B, and C, okay? We made up a scenario for you. This might be your neighbor. It's probably not. It's not mine. A, Jane and Pete are their name. B, their interest. Jane is a nurse, and she loves dogs. C is how do you pray for them? Jane and Pete's marriage is not doing very well. If we can put that up on the screen this morning, that that little example. Name, Jane and Pete, interests. Jane is a nurse and loves dogs. Prayer, Jane and Pete's marriage. You go, man, I don't know that about my neighbor. How how in the world do I know that about Jane and Pete? Let Let me just tell you. Pete walks the dogs twice a day. You're leaving for work at 6 a.m., and Jane has on scrubs, and she's coming in from work. Guess what? She works in the medical field. You don't even know Jane's name, but you know that she works in a medical field. You know she leaves earlier than you do in the morning. You know that Pete walks the dogs every day, and one day you were having a conversation with Pete out in your yard. You said, hey, Pete, I see your wife leaving early. Yeah, she's, she works at uh, High Point Medical Center, all right? She works up there. And, oh, man, that's got to be tough. Yeah, I'll tell you, whew, it's hard when your wife works nights and you work days. Jane and Pete, love their dogs. She's a nurse. And man, could it be that their marriage is having difficulties? See, we're not asking you to knock on every door and say, um, oh, I got this project from church today. A, what's your name? B, can you tell me a hobby? C, I'd like to be so impersonal, I've never introduced myself to you before, and now I'd like to ask you, how can I pray for you? To which they'll say, what's the name of your church, and I'll receive hate mail tomorrow, all right? They are people, not a project. So my card looks like this. We realized that we didn't have enough room, so we made yours bigger, all right? Some of these are filled in. Some of them I know the needs, but I don't know their names. Some of them I know the ways that I might have offended, that I've got to prayerfully ask for God to give me a way to step back into their lives. These are my neighbors. You have yours. Now, on your way out, you're going to get one of these cards. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen across the board, okay? Some of you are going to take the easy super easy route. You're going to put it in your Bible and you're never going to look at it again. That's fine. Don't follow, love your neighbor as yourself that Jesus said, all right? Just put it away. Blunt, sarcastic, but true, all right? Some of you are going to take the next easy route and you're going to fill it in with family members. Oh, I got it. Um, My aunt, my uncle, my nephew. Oh yeah, I'll fill them all in. That's the easy route. The next easy route is you'll go, well, I don't really know my neighbors, but I know my coworkers, so I'll fill them in. Some of you live on 40 acres, and you don't have a neighbor, all right? I understand that. Everybody is going to be different. Some of you are teenagers, and you don't consider yourself a homeowner or a renter, and your neighbors would be those that are sitting beside you in class. 
Some of you are college students and you've just got back from college or you're going to summer school. The dynamics are going to be different. Don't simply look at this list and me narrow this down for you and go, oh, it's got to be this person, this person. Who do you know that has a need in your life that you can pray for? But we want to challenge you to start where God has already placed you. And some of you, many of you, live in a neighborhood. Statistics tell us that this little experiment, 20% of you will know five to eight neighbors by name. 10% of you will know the hobbies, and 1% of you will know how to pray for your neighbors. We just don't love our neighbors as we're commanded. This month is going to be awesome. We're praying for you. We want you to begin to pray for relationships. We want you to begin to pray for God to to intercede in your relationships and for you to begin to see how God begins to fill in this blank and for you to begin to love your neighbor as yourself. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Question for us as we conclude our teaching time this morning. If I don't meet the physical and spiritual needs of my neighbor, then who will? As we were praying this morning in our worship time before we get ready to come out here, the prayer was offered, will we stay in our comfort while our neighbor goes to hell? Will we stay anonymous while our neighbor doesn't know Jesus? Will we love our neighbor as ourselves? If I don't meet the physical and spiritual needs of my neighbor, then who will? Let's pray this morning. God, I pray that we would stand in awe of you and as we prayerfully, lovingly, compassionately, carefully, God, learn to love our neighbors because you've commanded us to do so. We wouldn't see this as a checklist of spirituality, spirituality, but we would see this as a sincere desire to know you, Lord to grow closer to you, and because of that, be drawn closer to those in our lives. God, I pray that nobody in this room takes the easy route. I pray that nobody in this room shoves this away. I I pray it's difficult. I pray that we wrestle through this. But God, you raise the awareness of those that we live around, those that we serve around, those that we work around. We would know their names. Neighbors have names. Neighbors have needs. Neighbors have physical needs. And they definitely have spiritual ones. And we have been given the answer of hope. Springing forth out of us as living water. The hope we have in Jesus. So God, as we continue this morning, may we continue to worship to continue to be led by you as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just continue to worship? Would you just stand? If you want to speak with me and me to pray with you about a neighbor, you already know I'd love to do that, or you want to kneel and pray, you can do that as we continue to worship this morning.